You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizenselmira.ca. My name is Darcy. I'm the pastor here at Citizens. If you're a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcome. We are in a series through the book of Psalms. Yes, through the whole book. And someone was asking me today if we were going to finish it this summer, and the answer is no. We're in Psalm 36, okay? So we are going through it. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 36, and we will look at it in just a minute. This week, I got a great email. I don't know if you've had one of these before. The email was from Mrs. Precious, and it told me a little bit of insight into an opportunity that was waiting for me. So she said that um, she was tying some last details together, and her with her partner from Iceland were pulling together this deal, like a good deal. And I was invited into this deal. Here's what the email said. The fund wasn't transferred into your account due to one reason. So there's a technicality. There's just one problem. But because of my kind gesture, they have left the ATM card worth 3.75 million USD. Okay, they added the USD because they knew that that would sell the deal. That's just waiting for me. And they gave me an email address that I could write to where I could send my mailing address and my phone number. All the details would be worked out. Have you got one of those before? Um, we've all got probably a lot of those. And maybe you had an email this week from Precious. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't the only one. But it's an email that like, we've been inundated with, and we know, hopefully, please don't send your address and your phone number or your social insurance number, whatever they want. Um, don't send it their way. We see emails like that, and most of us know, and we become pretty um, cynical and jaded towards what seems like an amazing promise for us, an amazing opportunity. We can read it pretty clearly now because the internet's been around for a long time, and we become cynical and jaded. And that can even happen when it comes to the wonderful news about all that God has done for us. Because of some, possibly some very real experiences in our lives, maybe because of the way that we've seen Christians or God being used by different people or whatever experience we have that's been negative, we become cynical and jaded towards the amazing, wondrous news of what God has done for us. And so, in Psalm 36, David is going to remind us again about all the wonderful things. And he's going to try to leave this impression on us that when other things come into our lives and want to distract us and pull us away from the, the amazing things that God has done for us, we shouldn't fall into the line of thinking that we do with most other things in life. We shouldn't grow cynical. We shouldn't become jaded towards God but we should look back to him again. So this morning, we didn't read the passage yet, so I want to read it out for all of us to hear the whole thing, and then we're going to look at it in detail together with the remaining time that we have. So again, 
Psalm 36, starting in verse 1, it says this, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. Verse 10 says this, O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and in your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So David is reorientating our thinking. David wants us to see clearly who God is and what God has done for us. And we're actually going to start at looking at the, the, the focal point of this psalm, where it's really driving to is the middle section of this psalm. And you'll see in the text, or you would have heard it read, three times the phrase, the steadfast love. The steadfast love. That word is hesed. It's a very specific word that David is using here. It is the specific covenant love of God with his people. And David says, this is what I want you to have kind of ringing in your ears, resonating in your heart, is a greater understanding of the hesed love of God, this love that extends. It is a covenantal love. It, it literally means joint obligation, where two parties are coming together and they are covenanting together, which we just were thinking about with the bands of marriage, and it's summertime, there's all kinds of weddings going on, you've probably been to a wedding or maybe heard of people who have married together, and, and weddings are still one of those things, even, even in our society, even with people who aren't even Christians, many of them will make vows to each other. And I, I even looked on Wikipedia, okay, to see what they had for vows and listen to this vow, which sounds really familiar. You've probably heard it this summer. It says this, I take you, X, to be my wife or my husband, whatever it is, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy law. And this is my solemn vow. You've heard that before? Maybe you've said it before? It is a bringing together, a covenanting. And yet, we struggle with covenanting. 
We, we know that uh, been married for a week, or if you've been married for 50 years, to, to, to commit to each other is quite a deal. It is really hard work, okay? If you're newly married, sorry, that's the deal, okay? It is hard work to stay together. And many marriages we know don't last. They end in divorce or they end in separation. There is just too much. God is not like us. David here is saying, has said, God's commitment to us is unlike any kind of commitment that we're aware of, even the best of marriages. God's commitment is so stunningly beautiful to his covenant people that David says, this is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to be impressed with when it comes to your relationship with God. When the the jadedness of life comes your way, when cynicism is creeping in, he says, I want you to remember the steadfast love of God. So he says, I'm going to somehow get you to think on it, and I'm going to somehow kind of expand your mind to realize that God's love is just so wondrous, is so extravagant. There's a, a Bethel song called Beauty, and in the chorus of that song, it's, it goes like this. Angels cry out this unending song, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a beautiful description. They sing an unending song. I know, I know some of you in here, you're like, two songs is all I need, you know, on a Sunday morning. And when we're doing five songs, you're like, I'm tapped out. Uh, This song says that angels, and and it's referencing scriptures in Isaiah and in Revelation, angels are before God, and in Revelation it says they say unceasingly before God. Unceasingly. No, there's no pause in there. They say God is holy, holy, holy. So wondrous is God. So different from us. They can't stop saying it. And so here David now is going to try to get us to take some of that in. And to do that, he's going to give us some imagery. So in verse 5, he says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. So, David is using this imagery like heavens and clouds and mountains and the great deeps. These places that especially to the ancient world would have been wondrous and almost like miraculous. They didn't have planes. They're not flying in the sky. They didn't have submarines where they're going to the depths. So David is saying these places are so far and distant. They are just like amazing. He's extending his steadfast love. But even today, in 2023, we still have people who want to experience like the heights of climbing to the tops of mountains, or they want to experience the mystery of going into the depths of the sea to to do what? Maybe you're asking that, like why climb Mount Everest? To experience something, to take in this mystery. And David says, that's what we all need, actually. We need moments like that where we take in the mystery and the beauty and we connect it to who God is and what he's all about. So I don't know if you've had a moment like that. I'm quite sure that every single one of you have had a moment like that where you experience something 
and you're left, in a sense, speechless. Or you've just got nothing to add to the scene. I had this last year where we were in, my son and I were in Austria, we were visiting some friends, and we were going to go to a mountaintop. So this is, this is Europe, so it's not like our mountains here, you know, this is like big time. So we hop on a gondola, we go up on this gondola, and it takes you way up, and you're seeing this view, it's amazing. And then they've got this uh, giant, it's like a corkscrew thing, where you climb up this ramp, you do like 30 laps around this thing, and then you get to the top of the top of this mountain. Now, there's other mountains that are even bigger, but you get to the top. And at the top, there's only one, one thing left to do. It's just to look. There's nothing to make up there. There's no pot of gold waiting for people. There's not even a restaurant up there. You can't even buy drinks or anything, okay? Because this is the idea. You go up to this vista and you just look. You take it in. And that's what people were doing. Men, women, children, all races, all variety of people, they're standing there, they're taking it in. They're just soaking it up. And maybe your experience has been when you've held like a, a brand new baby. Or, or maybe it's when you've looked at this beautiful piece of artwork. Or maybe, you know, you're the one where it's like the, the bite, that first bite of a piece of steak. You know, I don't know what it is, okay? Where you just, you take this in and there's a moment where you're just like in wonder. Just silence. There's nothing really to add. You don't even want to say this tastes great. You're just like, I'm there. David says that mountaintop feeling that all of us that have had in various forms, that feeling is getting close to the steadfast love of God, to experiencing God. And most of us in our, our, we're like in our Western mindset, we tend to think more of propositional ideas and rational thought. These are poems, these are songs, these are prayers. David is trying to link the feelings that we experience in these moments with the beauty and the wonder of what God has done for us. So he says, take that feeling that you've had and connect it to the beautiful, steadfast love of God. It is wondrous. David then says, the result then is actual practical gifts in our lives. Verses 7 through 9. How precious is your steadfast love. So there it is again, the said love of God, this covenant love. How precious is it? The children of mankind, they take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delight. For with you the, are the, is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. So David says here, uh, love safety, abundance, delight, life, all of these things are found in God. Now, David's not saying that, um, you know, like this is some sort of prosperity, prosperity theology where now that we know God's steadfast love for us, man, everything's just going to work out good. We're just going to be in total safety. We're going to be in constant abundance. We're just going to experience all these good, no more debt, none of that kind of stuff. That's not what David is saying here. David is saying that as you experience the wonder of God, 
then you will see that God's provision for you comes in all sorts of forms. That God is present with you in the, the wonderful high things that you find total joy in, and he's also present with you in the deepest, darkest pits of your life. So there was a time where I did a trip to uh, West Africa where I visited some missionaries that were there, and we were in a country that was unstable. And even though I've traveled to Africa a lot, I was nervous just to go there, okay? And on our way home, when we were, they were taking us back to the airport, and literally what I was doing, I was like, three hours, and I'm on the plane, man. You know, three hours, and I'm like safely out of my way. So on our way to the airport, there's military checkpoints, and we get stopped. And, and one of the military personnel says, okay, who's responsible for these foreigners? Because I want you to know that on this road, just this morning, three foreigners were kidnapped. So just buyer beware, okay? This could be coming down the road for you. So I'm a nervous person to begin with, okay? So my heart is like triple beating now, okay? And I didn't even realize that I had like cell data there, but I'm watching like find my iPhone, like I'm tracking my way to the airport and I'm like, we're getting closer, you know, just hearts beating, nervous, and all the way along the trip, for real, I'm praying to God, saying, God, keep me safe. Lord, just make the way for us. Uh, release those other guys who are kidnapped. I'm just like praying the whole way there to the airport. And you know the end of the story. I'm here, okay? So I, I made it safely. But it did remind me, it reminded me back then and it reminds me today that one of the abundant blessings that we enjoy is sometimes the total safety of a journey, but it's also the presence of God in the journey, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the, you know, the sweaty, you know, double heart palpitations. Prayers to God are real. He is present and this is what David is trying to get us to think about, that God is actually in all the details of our lives. He's providing for us. He's caring for us. He's not going to give us everything we need for a perfect life, but he is with us. He is a steadfast presence in our lives. So David says, do you have a wonder for God? Is he big in your mind? So big that when you think of all that he's given to you, all your provision, you don't think of the things necessarily, but you think of the goodness of him. But there's a problem. And this is the first four verses of the text that we just read. Where David actually begins is with this, this battle that is happening, this spiritual war that we are in, that all of us experience that this world is actually filled with spiritual warfare. In the Gospels, it's, it's actually very, it's in our face there. The, you know, the demonic activity. If you read the account of Judas betraying Jesus, it says that after Judas was about to, you know, he's making his decision to go, it says that Satan entered Judas. So very vivid activity of spiritual forces. But here in the book of Ephesians, it gives us maybe more a, uh, 
an understanding of the world that we live in and the spiritual war that we live in. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul here is saying, this is what's going on in the world around us. There's this unseen war that is happening. It's like a a virus. If you get a cold or something, you don't see it. All you see is the effects of it. And Paul says, this is what's going on in the world around us. But David makes it even more personal. David says, there's actually a battle going on within you. Not just in the world that you're living in, but within you. So verse 1 says this. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So David says, here's, here's the issue actually. The issue is that sin inside of us. It's a message that goes in the total opposite direction of what our modern day society is telling us. What does modern day society tell us? Our modern society says the way forward, the way for you to kind of discover your purpose and your identity is to look inside of you. When you look inside of you and find who you truly are, then the rest of the world should accept that. Okay, that's what the, that's what the world says. Sam Reimer puts it this way in an article I read this week. He says this, I am expected to find my own truth, to discover who I am, to find my own path. I am my own authority. The locus of authority is now inside of me, not outside of me. So this is what our modern age is saying. And David says, there's a major problem with that. And the problem is that we are sinful to the core. We are sinful right down to our innermost being. And it was a concept that the people in Jesus' day also struggled with. They were wrestling with these very ideas. Most of them were coming at it from a religious perspective. So in, in Mark chapter 7, the religious leaders come to Jesus and they're like, you know, your disciples aren't washing their hands, they're not following the rules. What's the problem here, Jesus? And Jesus says, the problem's not actually all the exterior stuff. The problem is actually one step inside. Look what Jesus says in verse 20. And he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Whoa, Jesus, that's quite a list. Verse 23, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The, the challenge is that, like Harold was saying, most of us think we're pretty good, man. Like, we don't break any laws or very few. You know, we don't have a lot of speeding tickets. We try to, like, do the right thing. And many of us think that if the scales were laid out and the bad was put on one and the good was put on the other, 
just got to say, I think my good's going to kind of tick ahead. You know, that, that's just, that's an inkling that we believe in. And the, the scriptures say we're actually broken to the core. David's saying the thing that's, that's right within you, that wants to sit within you. And it's so deceitful. I remember being in high school and reading Lord of the Flies. Did anybody read that book? I don't know if they still read that one. Okay. We read that in high school, you know, and it was like, this book was amazing. On the cover, there's the head of a, a pig that's bleeding. I was like, this is the book for me, you know. This is a fantastic book. The premise of the story, if you remember, you probably did a paper on it. The premise of the book is a plane full of British young boys I can't remember if they're cadets or if they're students. They're, they're supposed to be these proper English boys. Crash on an island, and all the leaders are gone. It's just the boys. And so you'd think, civilized, innocent young boys, what could go wrong, you know? It's just, this is going to be a camping trip. They're going to be singing songs around the fire. But you know the story. It descends into chaos. It descends into madness. It ends up where boys are insulting, tribalism, murder. It's a shocking story. But it's a great reflection of the heart of mankind. There is no innocence. And David says the sinfulness of man will work its way in to take away the wonder of God from us. But he says there's more than that. He says it's also that there's no fear of God. And Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. So David says, we need to learn to fear God, not in a way that we are fearing him, you know, that he is our enemy, but in a a way that is a growing reverence and honor for him. I had the verse here in Joshua 4, I won't read it out, but in Joshua 4, they experienced, the children of Israel experienced the fear of the Lord, which in the context of the story is a greater honor and awareness of who God is. They are laying stones out to memorialize all that God has done for them, freed them from tyranny of Egyptian slavery, guided them for 40 years through the desert, Now bringing them across the Jordan River on dry land, and God says, put stones down and mark this so that the people will have the fear of God because he has done such wondrous things for you. So David says, our sin within us and our, our lack of fear of the Lord, kind of thinking that we're on par with who he is, is the very thing that's going to strip us of the wonder and the goodness of the steadfastness of his love, his Hesed covenant love. So, how does he end it? How does he end this, this, this seeming battle, that, this tension that exists within our lives, the wonder of God and the sinfulness of our own hearts? David ends it with a prayer. I'll just read verse 10. He says this, Oh, continue your steadfast love. There's Hesed again. God, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your right righteousness to the upright of heart. David says, Lord, help me to know who you are. Help me, God, to experience the wonder of who you are. All of us understand how difficult it is to be formed into the image of Christ. I imagine that every single one of us struggle to to know God more, 
to be more like Jesus on a, on a daily, on a weekly basis, it is just so hard. We are formed by the world around us. We are formed by all that we take in. And now David here is praying, Lord, keep me going. Keep me down the path of knowing who you are. David uh, Kinnaman, in his book, Faith for Exiles, he's a part of the Barna group, which has done extensive study on uh, Christianity and all the topics related to this. And in this book, they are asking the question, how is it that young people who are, you know, a part of youth group and they're going to church, then when they get to their 20s are just dropping their faith like so fast? And so they studied it. And they actually wanted to see who was it that was actually staying on the path of following Christ? Like what kind of characteristics of their lives would prove to be fruitful in terms of their discipleship with Jesus? And they boiled it down to these five areas. These are the five characteristics of people who hung on to their faith through teenage years into young adulthood. And they're this. Number one, experience intimacy with Jesus. Number two, develop the muscles of cultural discernment. Forge national discipleship. And then lastly, engaging in countercultural mission. So those are the five characteristics that they said. People who successfully followed Jesus into their adult life, they, these are the five things that show up consistently. Now, we don't have time to dig into all of them. You could do a whole sermon series on each one of those. But what David is saying here is, you need number one, especially. You need an experience with God. Because what does David say here? David says, for, look at verse 10 again, continue your steadfast love. David says, God, I've experienced you in the past. You've been there, but now keep it going. Will you show up again? Will you be present in my life? And here's an exercise for you to do sometime. I'd encourage you to do it this way and write out where God has shown up and been faithful in your life. Be specific. Where has God shown up so that you can say he was present in my, I've experienced him here. Because in the, in the everyday of life, as emails from precious come in and as difficulties from life come from without, your cynicism towards God can grow. And David says, God, I want to see your presence in my life continued. I want to see more. I want to see more of your presence in my life so that I can look back and my list of experiences with you just increases and increases and increases. So David is challenging us to remember the, the wonderful news of God's steadfast love towards us and is calling us to ask God to show us some more, even in the midst of our clock-ish, okay, 9, 9, 10. We gather here on the stage with the worship team, and I've invited you all to join us. So if, if ever, you know, we get to the point where it's 9 o'clock and you're all here, that's okay. You're welcome to, to join us for that time of prayer. But I'll tell you what we do in that moment. There's, there's very few things that we actually do. But one of the things that we do is we say, God, would you do it here this morning? Would you actually give someone or, or many of us 
an experience of the presence of God. Lord, they're going to get like subpar preaching. They're going to get like, you know, communion where kids are going crazy. They're going to get like worship. That is what it is. Lord, but could you do something, God? Could you do a miracle and give us a presence and experience of you? Because we're not satisfied with just church. We're not satisfied with just saying we went somewhere. We want to experience the presence of God so that we will be formed and shaped for the rest of our days. There's a song by a band called Citizens. Let me close with this. The song is all about preparing our hearts, and it's called Good Ground. It says this, Come on, rain down, rain down. Heaven come and cover this earth. Fall on good ground. We don't want to waste your word when your truth is hard to believe in. Let our hearts be soft for receiving. Fall on good ground, good ground. Make us good ground, good ground. Let your word take root and the fruit be plenty. You are the vine, our only life. Let the good news grow and the branches flourish. You are the vine, our only life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Psalm 36. Lord, we ask that you would remind us today again of the wonder of your steadfast love towards us. And Lord, if someone is here and they have not experienced your love for them, they've not put your trust in, in their faith in you, God, I pray that today would be the day. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, help us again to put our trust and our faith not in what we've done, not in the fact that we're in this building, but our trust and our hope is in the steadfast love of God, which was evidenced in the person of Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and his victorious resurrection. And it's in his name that we pray.